Hello, adventurer, and welcome to the Skyrim Book Club, the on-the-go solution for the busy adventure in Tamriel's coldest, far-reaching province. Let us collect the literature and lore of this great province for you and put it into a portable package so that you never have to stop fighting dragons, picking flowers, or stealing from shopkeepers when they aren't looking. With an ever-increasing archive, SkyrimBookClub.ca has got the story for you. Until next time, enjoy the book. A Dance in Fire, Chapter 6, by Wagin Yarth, Chapter 6 of A Clerk's Adventures in Valenwood. Deki Muscati sat down, listening to Laides Eurus. The clerk could hardly believe how fat his former colleague at Lord Atreus's building commission had become. The piquant aroma of the roasted meat dish before Scotty melted away. All the other sounds and textures of Prathala Hall vanished all around him, as if nothing else existed but the vast form of Eurus. Scotty did not consider himself an emotional man, but he felt a tide flow over him at the sight and sound of the man whose badly written letters had been the guideposts that carried him from the Imperial City back in early Frostfall. Where have you been? Eurus demanded again. I told you to meet me in Falinesti weeks ago. I, I was there weeks ago, Scotty stammered, too surprised to be indignant. I got your note to meet you in Athay, and so I went there, but the Gajidi had burned it to the ground. Somehow, I found my way with the refugees in another village, and someone there told me that you had been killed. And you believe that right away? Yours sneered. The fellow seemed very well informed about you. He was a clerk from Lord Vanek's building commission, named Reglius, and he said that you had also suggested that he come down to Valenwood to profit from the war. Oh, yes, said Eurus, after thinking a moment. I recall the name now. Well, it's good for business to have two representatives from Imperial Building Commissions here. We just need to all coordinate our bids, and all should be well. Reglius is dead, said Scotty, but I have his contracts from Lord Vanek's commission. Even better, gasped Eurus, impressed. I never knew you were such a ruthless competitor, Decimus Scotty. Yes, this could certainly improve our position with the Sylvanar. Have I introduced you to Basseth here? Scotty had only been dimly aware of the Bosmer's presence at the table with Eurus, which was surprising, given that the Murr's girth nearly equaled his dining companion. The clerk nodded to Basseth coldly, still numb and confused. It had not left his mind that only an hour earlier, Scotty had intended to position the Sylvanar for safe passage through the border back to Cyrodiil. The thought of doing business with Eurus after all, of profiting from Valenwood's war with elsewhere, and now the second one with the Somerset Isle, seemed like something happening to another person. Your colleague and I were talking about the Sylvanar, said Basseth, putting down the leg of mutton he had been gnawing on. I don't suppose you've heard about his nature. A little, but nothing very specific. I got the impression that he's very important and very peculiar. He's the representative of the people, legally, physically, and emotionally, explained Eurus, a little annoyed at his new partner's lack of common knowledge. When they're healthy, so is he. When they're mostly female, so is he. When they cry for food or trade or an absence of foreign interference, he feels it too and makes laws accordingly. In a way, he's a despot, but he's the people's despot. That sounds, said Scotty, searching for the appropriate word, like bunk. Perhaps it is, shrugged Basseth, but he has many rights as the voice of the people, including the granting of foreign building and trade contracts. It's not important whether you believe us. Just think of the Sylvanar as being like one of your mad emperors, like Pelagius. The problem facing us now is that since Valenwood has been attacked on all sides, the Sylvanar's aspect is now one of distrust and fear of foreigners. The one hope of his people, and thus of the Sylvanar himself, is that the Emperor will intervene and stop the war. Will he? asked Scotty. You know as well as we do that the Emperor has not been himself lately. 
Eurus helped himself to Regulius's satchel and pulled out the blank contracts. Who knows what he'll choose to do or not do. That reality is not our concern. These blessings from the late good Sir Regulius make our job much simpler. They discussed how they would represent themselves to the Sylvanar into the evening. Scotty ate continuously, but not nearly so much as Eurus and Basseth. When the sun had begun to rise in the hills, its light reddening through the crystal walls of the tavern, Eurus and Basseth left to their rooms at the palace, granted to them diplomatically in lieu of an actual immediate audience with the Sylvanar. Scotty went to his room. He thought about staying up a little longer to ruminate over Eurus's plans to see what might be the flaw in them, but upon touching the cool, soft bed, he immediately fell asleep. The next afternoon, Scotty awoke, feeling himself again. In other words, timid. For several weeks now, he had been a creature bent on mere survival. He had been driven to exhaustion, attacked by several jungle beasts, starved, nearly drowned, and forced into discussions of ancient Aldmeri poetical works. The discussion he had with Eurus and Basseth about how to dupe the Sylvanar into signing their contracts seemed perfectly reasonable then. Scotty dressed himself in his old battered clothes and went downstairs in search of food and a peaceful place to think. You're up, cried Basseth upon seeing him. We should go to the palace now. Now, whined Scotty, look at me. I need new clothes. This isn't the way one should dress to pay a call on a prostitute, let alone the voice of the people of Valenwood. I haven't even bathed. You must cease from this moment forward being a clerk and become a student of mercantile trade, said Leodes Juris grandly, taking Scotty by the arm and leading him into the sunlit boulevard outside. The first rule is to recognize what you represent to the prospective client and what angle best suits you. You cannot dazzle him with opulent fashion and professional bearing, my dear boy, and it would be fatal if you attempted to. Trust me on this. Several others besides Bassus and I are guests at the palace, and they have made the error of appearing too eager, too formal, too ready for business. They will never be granted audience with the Sylvanar, but we have remained aloof ever since the initial rejection. I have dallied about the court, spread my knowledge of life in the Imperial City, had my ears pierced, attended promenades, eaten and drunk all of that that was given to me. I dare say I've put on a pound or two. The messages we've sent is clear. It is in his, not our, best interest to meet. Our plan worked, added Basseth. When I told his minister that our imperial representative had arrived, and that we were at last willing to meet with the Sylvanar this morning, we were told to bring you there straight away. Aren't we late then? asked Scotty. Very, laughed Eurus. But that's again part of the angle we're representing. Benevolent disinterest. Remember not to confuse the Sylvanar with conventional nobility. He is the mind of the common people. When you grasp that, you'll understand how to manipulate him. Eurus spent the last several minutes of the walk through the city, expounding on his theories about what Valenwood needed, how much, and at what price. They were staggering figures, far more construction, and far higher costs than anything Scotty had been used to dealing with. He listened carefully. All around them, the city of Sylvanar revealed itself, glass and flower, roaring winds, and beautiful inertia. When they reached the palace of the Sylvanar, Decimus Scotty stopped, stunned. Eurus looked at him for a moment, and then laughed. It's quite bizarre, isn't it? That it was. A frozen scarlet burst of twisted, uneven spires as if a rival sun rising. A blossom the size of a village, where courtiers and servants resembled nothing so much as insects walked about its sucking at its ichor. Entering over a bent, petal-like bridge, the three walked through the palace of unbalanced walls. Where the partitions bent closer together and touched, there was a shaded hall or a small chamber. Where they warped away from one another, there was a courtyard. There were no doors anywhere nor any way to get to the Sylvanar but by crossing through the entire spiral of the palace, through meetings and bedrooms and dining halls, past dignitaries, consorts, musicians, and many guards. It's an interesting place, said Basseth, but not very much privacy. Of course, that suits the Sylvanar well.
When they reached the inner corridors, two hours after they first entered the palace, guards, brandishing blades and bows, stopped them. We have an audience with the Sylvanar, said Eurus patiently. This is Lord Decimus Scotty, the Imperial representative. One of the guards disappeared down the winding corridor and returned moments later with a tall, proud Bosmer clad in a loose robe, patchwork leather. He was the Minister of Trade. The Sylvanar wishes to speak with Lord Decimus Scotty alone. It was not the place to argue or show fear, so Scotty stepped forward, not even looking toward Eurus and Basseth. He was certain they were showing their masks of benevolent indifference. Following the minister into the audience chamber, Scotty recited to himself all the facts and figures Eurus had presented to him. He willed himself to remember the angle and the image he must project. The audience chamber of the Sylvanar was an enormous dome where the walls bent from bowl shape at the base inward to almost meet at the top. A thin ray of sunlight streamed through the fissures hundreds of feet above and directly upon the Sylvanar, who stood upon a puff of shimmering gray powder. For all the wonder of the city and the palace, the Sylvanar himself looked perfectly ordinary, an average, blandly handsome, slightly tired-looking, extraordinary wood elf of the type one might see in any capital in the Empire. It was only when he stepped from the dais that Scotty noticed an eccentricity in his appearance. He was very short. I had to speak with you alone said the Sylvanar in a voice common and unrefined. May I see your papers? Scotty handed him the blank contracts from Lord Vanek's building commission. The Sylvanar studied them, running his fingers over the embossed seal of the Emperor, before handing them back. He suddenly seemed shy, looking to the floor. There are many charlatans at my court who wish to benefit from the wars. I thought you and your colleagues were among them, but those contracts are genuine. Yes, they are, said Scotty calmly. The Sylvanar's conventional aspect made it easier for Scotty to speak, with no formal greetings, no deference, exactly as Eurus had instructed. It seems most sensible to begin straight away talking about the roads which need to be rebuilt, and then the harbors that the Altmeri have destroyed, and then I can give you my estimates on the costs of resupplying and renovating the trade routes. Why hasn't the Emperor seen fit to send a representative when the war with elsewhere began, two years ago? asked the Sylvanar glumly. Scotty thought a moment before replying of all the common Bosmeri he had met in the Valenwood, the greedy, frightened mercenaries who had escorted him from the border, the hard-drinking revelers and expert pest-exterminating archers in the western cross to Falinesti, nosy old Mother Pascot in Havelslump, Captain Balfix, the poor, sadly reformed pirate, the terrified but hopeful refugees of Athe and Grenos, the mad, murderous, self-devouring wild hunt of Vindisi, the silent, dour boatman hired by Griff Malin, the degenerate, grasping Basseth. If one creature represented their total disposition, and that of many more throughout the province, what would be his personality? Scotty was a clerk by occupation and nature, instinctively comfortable cataloging and filing, making things fit in his system. If the soul of Valenwood were to be filed, where would it be put? The answer came upon him almost before he posed himself the question. Denial. I'm afraid that question doesn't interest me, said Scotty. Now, can we get back to the business at hand? All afternoon, Scotty and the Sylvanar discussed the pressing needs of Valenwood. Every contract was filled and signed. So much was required, and there were so many costs associated that addendums and codicils had to be scribbled into the margins of the papers, and those had to be re-signed. Scotty maintained his benevolent indifference, but he found that dealing with the Sylvanar was not quite the same as dealing with a simple, sullen child. The voice of the people knew certain practical, everyday things very well. The yields of fish, the benefits of trade, the conditions of every township and forest in his province. We will have a banquet tomorrow night to celebrate this commission, said the Sylvanar at last. Best make it tonight, replied Scotty. We should leave for Cyrodiil with the contracts tomorrow, so I'll need a safe passage to the border. We best not waste any more time. 
Agreed, said the Sylvanar, and called for his minister of trade to put his seal on the contracts and arrange for the feast. Scotty left the chamber and was greeted by Bassith and Eurus. Their faces showed the strain of maintaining the illusion of unconcern for too many hours. As soon as they were out of sight of the guards, they begged Scotty to tell them all. When he showed them the contract, Bassith began to weep with delight. Anything about the Sylvanar that surprised you? asked Eurus. I hadn't expected him to be half my height. Was he? Eurus looked mildly surprised. He must have shrunk since I tried to have an audience with him earlier. Maybe there is something to all that nonsense about him being affected by the plight of his people. 